How about that trio? Wasn't that something? Man, that's awesome. Did y'all see how Richard was dressed? He looks casket ready, don't he? I'm telling you, buddy. Richard. He used that on me before I ever used it on him. But I must tell you, it was a pleasure to use it on him this morning. Well, we're talking about who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, we're asking the question, who is he? In our first message last week, I told you, or week before last, I told you, that in answering the question, who is Jesus, we're going to look primarily in the book of John and primarily in chapter 8. So we'll do that today. John, or rather Jesus, was born into the world through a Jewish family. Now, I know you know that, but it's important that I establish this as we talk about this message today. It was uh, brought up in Israel uh, by very devout Jewish parents. However, Jesus was in constant conflict with Jewish religious leaders. The reason they were in constant conflict is because these religious leaders believed that you could know God. They believed that you could be right with God, that you could have a relationship with God that would take you to heaven simply by doing good deeds, simply by obeying their uh, laws. Now, They wanted you to obey the the laws that are in the Scripture, but they had a whole bunch of other laws. As a matter of fact, they had created over 600 of their own laws that uh, had no scriptural basis, and you had to obey those too. And if you did not obey all of those, then you could not know God, and you could not go to heaven. They thought you could know God through self-effort. They preached and taught that it was through religious achievement that a man or a woman was made right with God. And Jesus was constantly, continually attacking this false teaching. And uh, Jesus called it like it was. Uh, You guys ever notice that when you're reading about the things he said? Uh, As a matter of fact, You have to permit your imagination here just a little bit. Um, There are scenes throughout the Bible where the religious leaders are kind of over here and the sinners are kind of over here and the religious leaders are murmuring and complaining and criticizing Jesus and the sinners were drawing near to him. I like it. I like that. I want us to be that kind of church. Uh, I want to get criticized for the same things Jesus got criticized for. We had a group of ladies in our church led by Amanda Grantham, Pastor Jared's wife, Amanda, who is with child. And uh, she she led a group of ladies and some men went along as well. Um, And they went to the clubs and the, the strip clubs and these places in Johnston and Wayne County and took Christmas gifts to the girls there on Friday night and talked to them about Jesus. And they wept and cried with our women. They talked about their children and how they wanted to get right and be in church. And we just went and showed love. We didn't go preaching. 
We just went and said, Jesus loves you. And I just love Amanda for that. Can we give Amanda and that team a big hand? See, it's that kind of thing that would have made the Pharisees angry. As a matter of fact, they caught a woman in adultery one time and, you know, threw, him at, threw her at Jesus' feet and said, what are you going to do now? But Jesus looked at these religious leaders, and I can see them kind of standing over there, and they had religious garb, you know. Um, they had big hats, you know, flowing garments. And Jesus looked at them and went, you are not righteous before God. I'm sure that went over well. You are sinful before God, even with your big hat. (laughs) And you need to acknowledge your sin. Can you see Jesus? Here are all the sinners over here, the prostitutes and the the, the, uh, uh, alcoholics and the... the, uh, Uh, thieves and and the people who are just living. And he's looking at the religious people going, you're sinful before God. And they're going, this man is messed up. Does he not need to be looking the other way? But that isn't where Jesus was looking. Not that they didn't need him. And not that they weren't sinful. But you see, he knew they knew. They needed him. Anybody out there this morning? See, I would rather be lost and know I need him to be sitting in a church this morning with a necktie on lost and think I don't need him. There are a lot of people like that. So Jesus turns to those, excuse me, who don't think they need him and he's looking at them and going, you need to acknowledge your sin before God and and you may be religious, but please understand me, you're sinful. Again, I'm sure this is going over great. He says, you need to repent of your sin. He actually goes on to tell them that they need to embrace him as their Lord and Savior. That didn't go over well at all. As a matter of fact, not only did they not want to hear this, they were fiercely angered by his words. And we know how angry when we get to the last part of the book of Matthew last part of the book of Mark, last part of the book of John, Luke, and last part of the book of John, we know how angry they were because they crucified him. These were the people who did it. Church people. Religious people. The conflict between Jesus and these Jews, these Pharisees, seems to be at a high point at the end of John chapter 8 because they're having a conversation about Abraham because Abraham is their father. Y'all remember when we were kids? You remember that song we used to sing? Remember? Y'all want to do it? It would take 30 minutes. It's the longest song in history. (laughs) Father Abraham had many sons. I just kind of want to do it, but let's, let me, let's just move on. As you know, the entire Jewish nation came from the great Abraham. All Jews go back to Abraham, but not just all Jews, also all Arabs. You do know that story, don't you? And you do know why there is such conflict in the Middle East, don't you? Because God came to Abraham when he was old and said, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. So Abraham goes to 
Sarah and go, Sarah, God spoke to me and said, we're going to have a child. Well, Sarah was 90. She was like, we're never going to have any children. You know, so what did Sarah do? What did she do? She laughed. Bible says she laughed when he told her that you will have a son. When God tells you something like that, it's going to happen. But Abraham, the great Abraham, the great Abraham, you know, Moses messed up, Abraham messed up. There's even a place in the Bible where Paul messed up and Peter messed up. And Aren't y'all glad the Bible doesn't just record all the successes of great Christians, but it also puts their failures in there too? And so Abraham hooks up with Hagar, one of his handmaidens, because he's not really sure God can pull this thing off. The biggest messes that I have ever got myself into is when I took stuff out of God's hands and took it in my hands. Do you hear me? The biggest problems, the biggest embarrassments, the biggest shame that I have ever experienced in my life is when I said, God, I'll do this. Because I can't wait for you to do it your way. Abraham had a child with Hagar, and his name was Ishmael. And so was born the Arabs. Now, we love them and we want them to come to Jesus, but this conflict that we see and have always seen and will always be until Jesus returns. I don't care who's president, the Middle East will always be a huge, volatile issue in this world until Jesus comes. Are y'all, y'all, is it too early to preach like that? So as you know, Abraham lived way before Jesus, did about 2,000 years. And in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus, he's stirring the pot, boy. He's stirring the pot. You know, when you're reading John chapter 8, you want to go, Jesus, you might want to tone it down just a little. But Jesus is stirring the pot, and, and these Jews are getting angrier and angrier at the things he's saying. So he just decides he'll take it to an HNL. And what is that? whole nother level. And so he goes, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Oh, oh. Their anger just went into hyper speed. I mean, this was a staggering statement. Jesus could not have said anything more disturbing to these Jews than to say before Abraham, because see, he knew they knew who Abraham was. He's like, you guys knew Abraham? You guys know Abraham? And they're like, well, duh. He goes, before him? And they go, yeah. I not was. I am. Now, they got it, because he was saying, there is no beginning to me. And there's no end to me. And they knew their Bible well enough to know that there was only one who could claim that. And it was God. So when he said that, now it was a historical moment. I mean, when Jesus said this, he was clearly attributing himself to eternal existence. He was telling them he was God. 
And these Jews clearly understood what he was claiming. So the Bible says that probably without even thinking about it, chapter 8, verse 59, when he said it, they just went down and picked up stones and, well, you got to die. We're going to stone you to death because to stone him was their first thought. They, in their mind, he had committed blasphemy because he was not God and he was just a man like them. I mean, look at him. He wore the same kind of clothes. You know, the Bible tells us that there was nothing about Jesus that made him stand out physically. I always love these pictures of Jesus, 6'5", 225 pound, 34-inch waistline, hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> I'm Jesus, you know. The Bible says he wasn't like that. The Bible says he was comely. He was just a regular guy that there was nothing about him until he opened his mouth or did a miracle that would make you think anything about him was different. So they picked up their stone, picked up the stones, and they were moving to stone him because they said, this man is just a normal man, and he has just created or just uh, claimed to be God and committed the sin of blasphemy. When Jesus said, I am, when he claimed for himself, I am, it was, listen, it was the most authentic, audacious, profound claim that he was creator God. He was saying to these Jews, I am in flesh the God of Abraham. I am in flesh the God of Isaac. I am in flesh the God of Jacob. I mean, he was connecting with these Jews on a level they understood. And they were getting angrier and angrier. And for his madness and for his insanity and for this blasphemy, stoning was required. And I was, as I was reading this and studying it, I discovered that the temple was being renovated and built during that time. So they were right there at the temple while it was being worked on. So I'm sure there were plenty of stones laying around, lots of ammunition on the, on the uh, construction site. Now I want you to hear me this morning. Because in your conversation with people who um, know just enough of the Bible to be dangerous... You know people like that? They tell you, and especially the cults. Now, I'm not going to call the name of any cults today because every time I do, I get in trouble. Somebody comes up and goes, my cousin goes to that church, and it's wonderful. I don't doubt that. They have great commercials on TV. You seen their commercials? Y'all know who I'm talking about, but I didn't say it. Matter of fact, I've watched their commercials and gone, I'll tell you what, that right there, that's awesome. And it's by who, you know, because they know how to pull us in. But here's what these cults say. They say, well, he was just a good prophet, a good man, a good teacher, because he never really outright claimed to be God. Well, what Bible are you reading? Because it is explicit here. You say, well, it, in my interpretation, I don't believe he was claiming to be Messiah right there when he said that, even though he said it over and over and over. Well, let me tell you who did get it. These Jews got it. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, they knew what he was claiming because they picked up stones. 
So you can sit out there and and um, you might be watching us on the internet this morning. You're a part of one of those uh, cults that you believe Jesus didn't claim to be the Son of God. You're just living in denial. You're, you're living in denial that he didn't claim to be God, that he didn't claim to be our Savior, that he didn't claim to be the one who forgives us of sin. You're living in, in, in denial. Jesus said it clearly. It's very clear to these Jews what he said because they picked up stones immediately. They were going to kill him. Matter of fact, if they'd have their way about it, Jesus would have never made it to the cross. They would have wiped him out right there. He had done this several times. The Bible says in verse 59, he hid himself and went out of the temple. So they're in the temple. He's backed up maybe against a wall. Here comes the drama. And they're moving on him to, to stone him. And all of a sudden, he hid himself. You say, well, maybe he just ducked in behind a rock. No. He beamed up Scotty. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you. And uh, there was another time when he was in his own hometown of Nazareth. He had to do this actually a few times in his life here on the earth, but he was in his hometown of Nazareth. And uh, I believe it's over there in Luke 4, Luke 4, 18, I think, something like that, where Jesus is saying, he's quoting Isaiah, and he's saying, uh, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to set at liberty them that are captive. I've come to touch the bruised and heal the bruised. And it's a, what that is, uh, that Isaiah scripture that I just gave you, is a prophecy of the Messiah. So Jesus is standing in the temple. I'm, I'm talking about another time he had to do the be me up Scotty thing. And and he is saying all this, and they're listening to him. And at the end of that, it would have been fine. But at the end of it, he looked at them and went, and I am him. I am the fulfillment of this Isaiah prophecy. And boy, when he said that, they converged on him to kill him. Now that time, he was, he, he was back against a cliff. He was on a cliff. And he, he, the cliff was right there behind him, and they were going to kill him. And Ain't that cool? I mean, he's standing on a hill 100 yards away going, yo. <laughs> I bet Jesus could do one of those, you know, I can't do that. Somebody give me one. Yeah, exactly. Jesus did that. And they're like, he did this several times in Scripture. I think the Bible's fun. I just got to believe Jesus kind of went. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> the cults may be confused about his claims, but those in his hometown that day got it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't listen to the cults when they say he never claimed to be the son of God. He claimed it over and over and over. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's no way to the father but by me. Duh! Now, to clarify his claim of being I am, let's go to the Old Testament. Let's go to Exodus 3. Now, Exodus 3 contains that famous conversation between Charlton Heston and God. <laughs> Moses. And uh, God spoke uh, through a burning bush. You remember that? And uh, Moses is there, and he told Moses to take his shoes off. Why? White carpet, exactly. No. <laughs> Take your shoes off because it's holy ground. 
Now, I'm not going to read that whole scripture, but I want to just condense the conversation between God and Moses. So Moses is standing there. This bush is on fire, yet the bush is not being consumed. It isn't burning up. So we know it's supernatural what's going on. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I have heard the cry of my people as they suffer under the cruel Egyptians. Moses, I want to tell you, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, rather, to let my people go. Some people call me Pharaoh because I don't know when to let God's people go either. Okay. Some of you will get that going home. He says, I want to tell you, I want to go tell, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go and then lead them out of bondage. And Moses said, but God, when Pharaoh asked who sent me and the Jews asked who sent me, what should I say? And God says, you tell them, I am sent you. Now, what I wanted to do was get into this I am thing, find out what it means. And I found three particular things that I want to share with you quickly. Number one, I am speaks of God. Now, y'all with me? Old Testament, first time it ever is proclaimed from God, from heaven in a burning bush. I am, I am. Jesus comes back 2,000 years later, says what? I am. So I am speaks of God as being a deliverer. How many of you know him as a deliverer? A deliverer, a savior. One who rescues. He says in Exodus 3 and 10, so now go. Now this is what God is saying to Moses. What did God say to Jesus? So now go. Go to the earth and be a deliverer. He says to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to, here it is, here's the deliverer part, look, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, Egypt is always a picture of us in sin before we knew Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, every time somebody went to Egypt, they went down to Egypt. Doesn't matter where they went to Egypt from, they always went down to Egypt because Egypt is a picture of us in bondage. You know, the, the Jews, the Israelites, were under the cruel bite and sting of the taskmaster's whip in uh, uh, Egypt, and you and I, that's where we were under the bondage and the cruel uh, um, mastery of, the, of Satan himself before we knew Jesus. We lived our lives for him. But Jesus came to deliver us. Jesus came to deliver us as Moses came to be the deliverer of the children of Israel. In verse 17, we go down a little bit further in Exodus 3, we see this verse. So I said, here it is again, I will bring you up. You're in Egypt, so you're where? Have you ever noticed that... that uh, Satan always tried to get people to come down. When Jesus was up on the cross, what did people cry out? If you're really God, come. Jonah decides he's going to run from God. He steps over the side of the boat, or they actually helped him, threw him over the side, and he went. He was swallowed by a great fish and went 
down in the belly of the fish. The fish went down. When you're running from God, you're always going down, 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 down. And there are people sitting right here right now, and you're running, and you know it. But the Bible says when you reach out to God, immediately you start rising. Immediately you start coming up out of the affliction of Egypt. Look at that verse 17. So I said, I will bring you up out of the what? Affliction. The affliction of Egypt to the land of Canaan. Y'all, the land of the Canaanite, y'all know about the land of Canaan. Now, a lot of people say that Canaan is a picture of heaven. Y'all remember them songs we used to sing? One day I'm going to die and go to Canaan land. Y'all remember that? You're like, no, I don't remember that song. Well, in the old days, back in the day, as the kids say, we would sing about dying and going to Canaan land. Well, Canaan, Canaan in the book of Exodus was not a picture of heaven. Canaan was a picture of the spirit-filled life that you have when? Now. You say, well, why isn't Canaan a picture of heaven? I mean, the children of Israel, they got out of Egypt, they went through the wilderness, and then they went into Canaan, like going into heaven. Yeah, but some of them went into Canaan and then came back into the wilderness. I got news for y'all. When I go to heaven, I ain't coming back. You say, well, we're just going to have a service. At the church, if you die, we're going to pray for a resurrection. Don't. Don't want to come back. Love you. Don't love you that much. Amen? So Canaan isn't a picture of heaven. Another reason I know Canaan isn't a picture of heaven is because when they got into Canaan, guess who was there? The enemy. I got news for you. When I get to heaven, and this is redneck, but I'm going to put it out there. I'm done with the devil. Amen? No more battles, no more tears. My Bible promises me no more of that. So Canaan is not a picture of heaven. Canaan is a picture of coming out of the wilderness, coming out of the little baby Christian into the full-grown Christian, the spirit-filled Christian now because they were in a desert place. They were out of Egypt, but they were still in a desert place. Paul referred referred to this as a babe in Christ. Now, what the Israelites did that we do is they stay in the wilderness way too long. There is a legitimate wilderness experience after you first become a Christian, but God didn't intend for you to wander around in there. As a matter of fact, if the Israelites had done their math, the shortest distance between two points is a what? If they'd have just done a beeline for Canaan, they'd have been there in 11 days. They were in the wilderness. Y'all got some grandchildren back there, don't you? We do. God wants us to go on into Canaan when? Now, grapes and pomegranates and corn and wine and what else? Yes, milk and honey. Now, I got to tell you, I don't eat much of that stuff, but when I read it in the Bible, it sounds pretty good. So y'all with me? I am means God is a deliverer. So my question to you this morning is, have you experienced him as a deliverer? Not just a great teacher, not just a nice man, but as your deliverer from sin. For if you have not, you need 
to come to him today in this service and make that decision. The second thing that I am speaks of, it speaks of God as being eternal. No beginning, no end. To say I am was very familiar to the Jews in Jesus' day because I am is the Old Testament name of God, which is Yahweh. Yahweh. It goes back to Exodus 3.13 where Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? So what Moses' concern is here is not Pharaoh, but his fellow Jews. What are they going to think when I come in and tell them that I've come to deliver them and, and that I've been sent by you? He said, and they want to know who you are. Who, what, what is this God's name? He said, what, what am I going to tell them? Moses had a God-given job to go to Israel representing God. And God comes back in verse 14, Exodus 3, and says, tell the sons of Israel, tell the Jews that I am who I am sent you. Tell them Yahweh, the eternal one, sent you. So I am means the eternal one. The third thing that it means is that God is ever present. If you have received Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Savior, can I just remind you that the I am abides in you this morning. The eternal one, the ever-present one, the deliverer of your soul lives in you today. What a thought. So we go to Exodus 3, 11 and 12 and we read these words, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? See, Moses, if you'll read that whole story, it appears there that Moses had some kind of speech problem. That Moses couldn't talk plain. Maybe he stuttered. I mean, Moses was afraid of getting in front of Pharaoh and going, Pharaoh. And for Pharaoh looking at him and beginning to laugh and mock him. And the word of the Lord as we think on this this morning, is to many of you who think you can't be used by God. There are some of you who think you can't be used by God because of your past. There are some who think you can't be used by God because you never really made very good grades in school. There are some of you who think you can't be used by God because maybe you didn't even graduate from high school. There are some of you who think you can't be used by God because you've made a whole bunch of mistakes in your past life. I got some good news for you. You're exactly who he's looking for. Amen. Because when I read these words by Moses, I have to go all the way over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at the words of Paul when Paul said God picks people like that so when he does great stuff through them, people go, there must be a God. I mean, I face it all the time. I run into people I went to high school with, and they go, Pharaoh Hardison, what are you doing? I'm Pastor Whitley Church, and I can see it in their face. There must be a God. <laughs> there must be a God. It's a great witness. Now, we laugh at that, and thank you, because that was to be humorous, um, but we laugh at that, but that's exactly what God said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
He said, I pick those the world rejects so that when I do a great thing through you, they will know I did it. It couldn't have been you. That's why God picked Moses. And he looks at Moses in verse 12, and you see it there up on the screen. And God said, you don't have to worry about it. I will be with you. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know is that he will be with you. I got to tell you guys something. I've been doing this for over 30 years, and I still have a hard time sleeping on Saturday night because I'm so unsure of myself. I turn and toss every Saturday night because I don't want to get up here and mess up. I don't want to get up here and say something wrong. I don't want to get up here and be an embarrassment to God. And I'm always questioning, am I supposed to be doing this? i got to tell you all something. When I was 17 years old and God called me to be a preacher, and if he would have said to me, and one day the church you pastor will average more than 1,400 in attendance, I would have never said yes. I was petrified to think I was going to stand in front of 50. But God chooses people like me who, when I brought home a report card with straight C's, my family was so excited. <laughs> my mother said, look, Willard, how average our son is. <laughs> and we rejoiced. He said, I'll be with you. Pharaoh, go preach and I'll be with you. Scott and Sherry, go help people with their marriage and I'll be with you. Sidney Grant, go lead little boys and Royal Rangers and I won't leave you by yourself. He's not going to leave you. When God tells you to do something, just trust that if he said it, he's going to be with you. I mean, Moses was going, you mean to tell me I'm going to go in there? Let me get this straight, God. I'm going to go in there and say to Pharaoh, you've had these people in bondage 400 years. God says, let my people go. And he's going to just let them go free as a bird right on into the land of Canaan. Is that what you're telling me? God said, don't worry about that. I'll be there. Thank you, God, for that. So I am means he's a deliverer, a savior. He's the eternal one. He's the ever-present one. The term I am or Yahweh is used 6,800 times in the New Testament, I'm sorry, Old Testament to identify God. Now, as we close this, we come back to John 8. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying when he said of himself, I am, and so did these Jews. Jesus knew that I am is the name by which God represented himself. I, I say that because I don't want you to misunderstand. Jesus knew what he was saying. Jesus understood what he was claiming. I am your Savior. I am the eternal one. I am the permanently present one. I am the one who brings salvation. I am the one who identified a people, the Jews, and I have established a relationship with those people. To understand what Jesus said is to understand who God is and who Jesus is and who the I am is. Jesus Christ cannot be fully understood or received apart from his redemptive purpose. I don't care what these cults say. I don't care what 
the culture says Jesus was a good prophet, a good man, a good teacher. I've got to tell you, he didn't leave you that option. He didn't leave you that option to think that of him. As a matter of fact, when Jesus said to these Jews, I am, there were two options, worship him or stone him. There was no, he's a good preacher, he's a good prophet, he's a good man, he's a wise man, he's a nice man. As a matter of fact, there's no middle ground. And don't you come to Jesus this morning with some patronizing nonsense that he's a peacemaker and a loving man. He did not leave you that option. I call on you today to fall at his feet or call him a blasphemer. That's all you can do. Those are the only two choices you have. Fall at his feet or call him a blasphemer. Let's stand. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, first of all, I want to thank you that I am the pastor of a church who can preach this sermon without getting stoned. If there is a man or a woman or a boy or girl who has tried to uh, intellectualize who Jesus is and they've looked at, uh, you know, what uh, NPR says Jesus is and what Time Magazine says Jesus is and, and Newsweek, God, let them hear the word of the Lord today. And the word of the Lord is crystal clear, Jesus said, I am. The eternal one, the ever-present one. I am your deliverer. I am God in flesh. Come to die. Come to rise from the dead triumphant over the grave so that you who receive me, Gentile and Jew, hallelujah for that, can be triumphant over the grave as well and live in eternity in heaven with me. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, I would pray that they would make that decision right now in Jesus' name. As a matter of fact, I want to do something this morning. I just want to do this. I want you to walk up here, everybody. Let's, let's feel the altar. Would you come, everybody? Everybody who will. This is a very sacred moment. Don't, don't use it as a time to, to butt out or leave. Come on, come on up. Let's close in prayer this, this morning. It's a very sacred time. Would everybody pray this prayer with me out loud, would you please? Dear God, who gave your Son, Lord Jesus, who came willingly, who bore the, the cost of my sin, died on a cross, rose from the dead, no more running from you, no more excuses, no more intellectual explanations. I receive the word of the Lord about who Jesus is. Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I open my life on this Sunday before Christmas. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Live in me. Take your rightful place on the throne of my heart 
and be my Savior and be my Lord. Now, if you prayed that from the depths of your heart, because God does business with people who mean business, if you meant business right there, then my friend, you have something to rejoice about today. And you may say, but I don't know how to do this thing. I don't know how to live it. Well, we've got package of information right back here in the back. As you go directly behind you to the right, there are packets of information that will help you get your roots down. But it's time to quit running. It's time to, to quit coming up with these stupid arguments about how Jesus is somebody other than who he said he was. And it's time for the church to stand up. And it's time for the pulpits of America to rise up. And preach the truth about who Jesus was. And the people of God said, amen. amen, amen. Listen, you go back there and pick up that material today. Give somebody a call.